Get your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm going to continue a series uh, that we started several weeks ago called Friend Request. And we're talking about really friendship with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit uh, wants to be our friend. And I, I know we have a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, and I certainly understand that. And some, some people in our church are very familiar with the third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. And you need to understand who the Holy Spirit is, and here's why. Because Holy, the Holy Spirit is really the the part of God, if you will, that's with us, the person of God that's with us. See, uh, the Bible makes it very clear that God is on the throne in heaven and that Jesus is seated at his right hand and that the Holy Spirit indwells us and is with us and leads us. In fact, today in worship, if you felt the presence of God, you were feeling the Holy Spirit. And so it's important that we understand this third person of the Trinity because he is a person and he is God and he is in the Bible and he is with us and he indwells us. And I know a lot of times when people get saved, they're like, well, I, I received Jesus into my heart. And, and while I understand the sentiment of that and, and I value that, theologically, that's not at all what happened. Jesus isn't in your heart. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father on high, making intercession for you. That's where Jesus is. You actually, by faith in Jesus and the grace and the goodness of God, the Holy Spirit indwelled you and you received the Spirit of God who made you the temple of God, right? And he is now transforming you to look like God. That that actually, biblically, is is what happened. Now, there's nothing wrong if. if if your child comes home today or some friend says, hey, I received Jesus in my heart, just celebrate with them. You don't need to explain them what you've just learned. Okay, just celebrate with them. We know what they mean. But I'm just saying that we need to understand the Holy Spirit because he is with us and he indwells us and he leads us. And, and we've talked about him in this series that he helps us and he empowers us and he refreshes us. And we even talked about some terminology um, that's sometimes a little bit confusing. We talked about uh, Pentecost and we talked about that that really has nothing to do with a style of church service or a dress code or a handkerchief or a tambourine. It doesn't have anything to do with how much jewelry you can wear or what clothes you need to wear or how long the church serves. Pentecost is actually a Jewish feast. And we talked about how there are seven feasts and three major feasts, and Pentecost is one of those. And we talked about the application of that. And so we're just, what I want really for our church, regardless of your background, because maybe you came from a place and you didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you were even told, stay away from people who talk about the Holy Spirit, right? Um, I was told, stay away from people who don't talk about the Holy Spirit. So I was on the other side. Um, but regardless of which, here's what I want you to understand is that God is good and God is safe. And anything that God is and anything that God has for me, I can lean into. And I don't want, I don't ever want my ignorance to be an excuse not to press into God. And so when there's something I don't understand, I actually want to lean into God, not lean away from God. And I understand when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit and some, some of the things about the Holy Spirit, like what we're going to talk about today. Um, that sometimes they've either not been used in church, in other words, we don't talk about those things, or they've been greatly abused by well-intentioned people, and we've had bad experiences and seen some weird stuff, and we're like, hey, it's, I got a, ooh, easy there, sea biscuit. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, just got to hold up. And so I understand that, but I, the, the whole reason behind this series um, really is just to, to prompt you and hopefully stir a hunger and an understanding for who the Holy Spirit is so that you're comfortable with the fact that he's your friend and that he's with you and that he's in you 
and that he guides you and that he has good things for you. Next week, we're going to talk about gifts of the Spirit. And everybody, I believe, has, has gifts of the Spirit. You have gifts that, that are given to you by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And in fact, growing up, that's another one of those phrases that's not always understood, charismatic. Charismatic doesn't mean hands in the air <laughs> like you just don't care. You know, No, it's, that's not what it means. Um, charismatic comes from two words, charismata, and it just means grace gifts. This means gifts by grace. It has nothing to do with snakes or anything like that. It has everything to do with gifts of the Spirit. That's actually what it means. And so, so my, my point is, when we talk about these things, we really, regardless of, of where you're at or where you choose to be with your relationship with the Holy Spirit, um, it's safe, and you don't. there's nothing really to be scared of. There's no mysticism and sensationalism or it's none of that. And so today I'm going to talk about probably one of the most misunderstood and greatly debated topics when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And that is, I'm going to talk about tongues. Um, yeah. And so now I warned everybody last week. And so if you're a guest, they didn't tell you, I guess. And so, um, I'm sorry, but I warned everybody. Um, but, but I think we need to talk about this and I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute, because in the Bible, and I think we need to talk about it because there's so much confusion and misunderstanding uh, about it, and it polarizes people, and people run from it, and I think sometimes it's been abused or misused, maybe, uh, more than abused. And, and so I want you to understand it, um, and then you make your decision. And here's what I'm saying. If you, if you don't believe in the baptism with the Holy Spirit, we talked about what that meant last week, what filled with the Spirit meant, and baptized with the Spirit. We talked about that last week. If you don't believe in that, that's Okay. If you, if you choose and you don't believe in tongues, that's okay. We, we are, we are, we're, we're not exclusive here. And so we're not going to force people to believe certain things. And my goal today is not to get anybody to speak in tongues or anything like that. We're not going to have anybody swinging from a chandelier or running with a tambourine or anything like that. We're, it's a very safe place. And we just want, I've always wanted a church where an atheist could come and be very comfortable and just explore God and try to figure out if they wanted to serve God or not. And so, um, if you say, Hey, I don't believe in tongues and I don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. You still come to church here. We're not going to card you at the door. You know, we're, we're not going to say, Hey, have you spoken in tongues this week? So you can come in. We're not that kind of people. Um, that's not at all what it's about, but at the same time, it's in the Bible. We should talk about it. And hopefully what I'll do today, if nothing else is give you some things to think about. And maybe for some of you pique your curiosity and maybe even stir some hunger for you to lean into God, even for things that are sometimes a little bit hard to understand. And so I want you to kind of understand, first of all, the historical background, um, because we see it in the book of Acts in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit falls on the church at the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, and they begin to speak with other tongues as the spirit enabled them. And so we do see it in the book of Acts, and, and Paul talks about it in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. In fact, we're going to look at a lot of that today. Um, but I want you to understand this. Even after, even after the Bible, you see it in church history. It, it follows in church history and, and how it actually came to the United States, if, if, you know, which is probably important for us, is in 1904, there was a revival, a, a powerful move of God in, in Wales. It was known as the Welsh Revival. It was really started or, or came through a preacher named, named Lauren Roberts. And uh, the revival only lasted a year or so because some things happened and spiritual warfare and confusion. But, but in, that, in that one year in the country of Wales, 
Um, they believe that somewhere between 150,000 and 200,000 people accepted Christ. They were converted. And it shut down the bars. The bars were empty. The churches were full. Um, there's amazing stories about how God moved powerfully and changed people's lives. But, but one of the coolest stories that I've heard is there would be ships that were sailing past whales, and they would get close to whales, and the power of God would fall on the ship, and all the crewmen would fall on their face and begin to repent before God, just sailing by in the ocean. And uh, so that move of God spread, and it spread in the United States, first in a place in Topeka, Kansas, where a man named Charles Parham uh, began to preach about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking the experience of speaking in other tongues. And then Charles Parham went to Houston to hold some meetings and teach some classes, and then while in Houston, a, a, a lady, she was a female pastor. She pastored a oneness church in Houston, small oneness church. She introduced a man named William Seymour to Charles Parham. William Seymour was an African-American man, and so uh, he wanted to be taught by Charles Parham and hear about this baptism with the Spirit and this experience of speaking in tongues like you read in the book of Acts. Um, be, because of segregation at the time, he was not allowed to go in the classes. Um, that was a cultural issue. didn't have anything to do with Parham, but a cultural issue. But he became a disciple, and he and Parham had a lot of discussions. And he would sit outside the room when Parham would teach, and he would listen to the teachings of Parham about the Holy Spirit and the baptism with the Holy Spirit and even this experience called tongues. And then he was invited to come pastor a church in Los Angeles, California. He went to Los Angeles, California, and even though he had never spoken with tongues, he began to preach about this baptism and this experience of speaking in tongues, and so they locked him out of the church. <laughs> it happens. And so anyways, so then he went home with this couple, and I can't remember their name, but he went home with this couple, and they lived at a little, a little uh, wooden frame house on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles, California. I've actually been there. There's now a museum there. And uh, William Seymour just spent most of his time in his bedroom praying and asking God to move and to move powerfully. And, and finally, they decided to start a prayer meeting there on Bonnie Bray Street. And over time, it quickly grew. It grew so much. In fact, if you've been there, it's just a little wood frame house kind of sits up and it has a little sloped yard and then a street. And they would actually fill the street with people. And um, the house would be full. In fact, uh, they decided to move it after the porch collapsed under the weight of all the people trying to get in the house. But at that house, the Holy Spirit fell and people began to have this experience of speaking in tongues. And so then they moved it to an abandoned, it was a Methodist church or a Methodist mission on Azusa Street. And it became the Azusa Street outpouring or the Azusa Street revival um, which is now, it's in history, but it's in Wikipedia if you want to research it. I've been to Azusa Street. The, the building is not there anymore. Um, but God began to move powerfully. And what was so powerful is it crossed all uh, racial boundaries. And so even though William Seymour was an African-American man, whites came, um, you know, uh, Hispanics came, you know, Chinese, Asians. I mean, everybody came. And, and God would do just these powerful things in this little wooden mission on Azusa Street. Um, in fact, they had a whole corner of the mission that was full of crutches and wheelchairs and canes where God had healed people. One of the uh, coolest miracles uh, that's reported is there was a man who had actually lost his shoulder and his arm. He had an, a prosthetic, which you can imagine in 1905, 1906. In 1906, the prosthetic was probably not that exciting. 
And during the service, uh, Brother Seymour asked him to remove his prosthetic and prayed for him. And the, the eyewitness account is they literally saw bone grow out of his shoulder and then flesh wrap around it. And it grew all the way out until he had a perfect hand with perfect fingers. And then the fingernails grew on. And so God did, I mean, it's amazing. In fact, people would come from, it literally spread around the world. Uh, people would come and they would actually fall on their face in the street, in Azusa Street, before they got in the mission and began to repent. Um, and even some of them be filled with the Spirit and sing songs in the Spirit and all this. I mean, it spread around the world. Uh, at least four denominations came out of that movement. And over 600 million people traced their religious roots, if you will, or their Christian roots, back to Azusa Street. Um, and um, But man gets involved, and man's really good about messing up what God's doing. And, um, and so there's denominational things and people got involved and, and William Seymour had started out preaching about the baptism with the Holy Spirit with the experience of speaking in tongues. And, and then it kind of turned into, and there's a little bit of, I think, in my opinion, pride that kind of entered in and, and people began to kind of segregate and divide by saying, well, do you speak in tongues? Cause I speak in tongues. And, and then it kind of changed to the baptism with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then it became the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. And, and the evidence was about, can you prove to me that you have what I say I have? And, um, and it just, to me, it started doing more harm than good, started dividing things. But the revival was powerful and it changed lots of people's lives. Um, and it still changed. By the way, uh, charismatic or Pentecostal believers are the fastest group of believers growing around the world today, second only to the Catholic Church. So the people that embrace the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because they do, that's their doctrine, they embrace the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, they're the fastest, one of the fastest growing groups of people uh, around the world. And so uh, it's powerful. And, and I, don't, I want us to understand the history and I want us to understand biblically. And so uh, I want to talk about tongues And I think the first place I need to start is to explain that there are really, in the Bible, there are four different distinctions in tongues. And if you don't really understand this, it gets really confusing really quickly. And two are public and two are private. So there's four distinctions, two public, two private. Let me explain these. Uh, Start with the public. So first of all, the first one, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 22, Paul says, that you see speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but unbelievers. So, so this is the, I'll call this one, uh, tongues as a sign. Tongues as a sign, uh, typically for unbelievers. So this is public and it's outside the church. And this is actually what you see on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. There were these tongues of fire and they be, the Bible says they began to speak with other tongues and they were actually speaking foreign languages. And all these different, the Bible says, devout men were all in Jerusalem from all over the world, and they all began to hear about the goodness of God in their native languages as these people began to speak with other tongues. And so this was a sign for the unbelievers that God was moving. Uh, we were in a church one time uh, where the pastor's wife, we were in a prayer meeting, and the pastor's wife uh, uh felt led of the spirit to begin to speak in tongues. She began to speak in tongues. And the pastor then said, and I'll get to this in a minute, does anyone have an interpretation? Uh, and a uh, guy in the back said, I, I can tell you what she said, but there's no interpretation. She wasn't speaking in a heavenly language. She was speaking in perfect Bulgarian. And I know because I'm from Bulgaria 
And I was praying and asking God what to do when I went back to Bulgaria, and God just answered me through her. And then he told us what she said. And so, I mean, that's tongues is a sign, okay? And that's what you see on the day of Pentecost. Then there's the gift of tongues that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 that must be interpreted, and it's for the church. It's a public use inside the church, and that's the gift of tongues, but it has to be interpreted. And when it's interpreted, it's actually a heavenly language. I don't know if you know this. There are different languages in heaven. Uh, Jesus has a name that, that we don't know yet. It's in a different language. And, and he is actually has a name for us. All of you have a name in a heavenly language that's written down that we will learn when we get to heaven. That's all scripture. And so there's different languages. And so um, when we're talking about the public use of tongues, the gift of tongues that has to be interpreted... It's a heavenly language to give us a heavenly message and God empowers someone else to interpret it into the language of the hearers so that the church is strengthened around the word of God. So when you're talking about tongues as a sign, then there's the gift of tongues, which must be interpreted, and that's a public use gift. Then there's two private um, uses. So the first one, and this is one I'm going to spend most of the time today talking about, there's a prayer language, or what I call the, the grace of tongues. So there's the gift of tongues, and to me there's the grace of tongues, which is when God and I, we talk, and I have a language where I communicate with him, and it's just for me. It's not for you. It's for my private use for me, when I'm praying and, and God and I are talking, that that's a grace that I have in, in my life that comes by the Holy Spirit. I'll explain that in a minute. The, the next one is deep intercession by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, we'll read this later, but Romans 8 says that when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit helps us and he prays with us with sounds or groanings that really aren't discernible to us. And so that's deep intercession if you will. And so you need to understand those four distinctions and I'll, I'll hopefully that makes it clear, but two public, two private tongues is a sign. It's usually for unbelievers, the gift of tongues in the church that must be interpreted to benefit the church. Then there's the private use of tongues, which is a prayer language. We'll just for simplicity call it a prayer language just between you and God. And then there's deep intercession where the Holy spirit really moves you into intercession and intercedes through you. All right. So is that clear as mud? And so you kind of need to understand those four different facets of it. Otherwise, the writings will get confusing because they look like Paul's saying, stop it. And then in some places, he's saying, you need to do it. And it's like, well, what are you saying? And so we're going to look at that together. So here's a, a few things that I want to tell you. The first thing is that tongues are biblical. They're biblical. And this is why I think we should have a discussion about it. And I know a lot of churches shy away from it. Some of them are scared someone's going to act crazy. Some of them maybe don't understand. They don't want to confuse people. Um, but here's what I'm saying. If it's, if it's in the New Testament and we're the New Testament church, then we should at least apply, apply our hearts to understanding. Amen? Even if it's something that makes us uncomfortable. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible's actually supposed to offend you. And I think sometimes in church we forget that, that it's not all sugar, you know, sugar, sugar drops and gumdrops and unicorns and candy canes and sugar plum fairies, that the Bible is actually supposed to offend me because that's how I change and grow. And so, anyway, so I think if it's in there, I think we should lean into it. And so we need to know tongues Tongues are biblical. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is talking about tongues to the Corinthian church because there's a lot of problems with the Corinthian church. And they're all speaking in tongues and they're kind of out of control. 
And they don't understand when to use the tongues publicly and when tongues should be private. And Paul's actually trying to help them understand this is private and this is public and this is how they operate publicly and this is what you do privately. And he's trying because what happened is the Corinthian church was really screwed up. And you need to understand, let me just say this first and foremost. Um, Any gift of the Spirit is a gift. And gifts do not denote maturity. So having a gift does not make you mature. Having fruit makes you mature. And so you need to understand that sometimes people like the Corinthians had received a gift, but they didn't have fruit. So they were just fruity. (laughs) Right? And Paul's like, hey, I want to see some fruit. You know, like we're, that's why he stops with the Corinthians writing a letter, 1 Corinthians 12. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Then he stops and talks about love. See, love's a fruit. Love, joy. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, right? Love's a fruit. Then he goes to the operation. Here's what he's saying. Your gifts should flow out of your maturity. You don't have gifts to convince people you're mature. You grow in maturity and the gifts flow out of maturity and then they benefit people. In other words, God's more concerned about your fruit than your gift. And so the Corinthians are running around and they've all got gifts, but no maturity. And people are coming to church and they're just grabbing them and saying, untie, retie, do tie my bow tie. And they're all speaking in tongues to each other, right? And expecting each other to figure it out. I mean, imagine if you just came in church and the greeters just looked at you, onomatopoeia, chicken soft tortilla. You know what I mean? It's like... Brother, what are you talking about? Like, this is, where am I right now? And that's what's going on in the Corinthian church and because they didn't understand the difference between a private use of tongues and a public gift or a private grace of tongues and a public gift of tongues. And so Paul's writing. And so here's, here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. He says, um, he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. So now he's talking about, and I want to show you this because remember they're biblical and I'm going to talk mostly about the private use of tongues in a, what I call a prayer language, right? But here's what he's saying. If you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking to God. So now he's talking about praying. If you're speaking to God, you're praying, right? So he's saying when I'm praying to God in tongues, it's not for men, it's for God. So he's trying to help the Corinthians because they're all praying in tongues to each other and they're all confused, Right? And he says, for no one understands him. However, watch this. I want this key phrase. In the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now you need to know when Paul says in the spirit, he's talking about praying in tongues. And I'll show you in a minute where he differentiates between the two of praying with understanding and praying in the spirit. But you need to understand what he says. He's praying in the spirit. How's he praying in spirit? He speaks in a tongue and he speaks to God. So Paul's actually talking about Praying in the Spirit, which is a private use of tongues, it's between you and God. And he's saying, hey, when I pray in the Spirit, I'm speaking in tongues. I'm not speaking to men. I'm speaking to God because men don't understand. And so he's trying to help, he's trying to help us understand. And then, and then verse 14, if you skip down 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, watch this. He said, for if I pray in a tongue, by the way, if, uh, if you go back to the original language of Greek, could have just as easily been translated when I pray. Because some people say, well, Paul didn't pray in tongues. He said, if I pray in a tongue. But Paul also said, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. And that got in the Bible. So it's still true. Maybe that's why he was 
known as a super apostle who wrote one-third of the New Testament. Because he spoke with tongues more than you all. He's always said, for if or when I pray in a tongue. See, now we're talking about praying in tongue. What's this? My spirit prays, but my understanding's unfruitful. Right? So what's the conclusion? Watch this, watch this. I will pray with the spirit, and I'll also pray with understanding. Now, you can't tell me they're, not, they're the same thing. What, how's the only way you can pray and not understand it? It's got to be in a language you don't understand. Right? I don't know about you, but most of the time I understand what I'm saying. So if I can pray with understanding, that means I understand what I'm saying. But Paul said, I also pray and I don't understand what I'm saying. How can I pray and not understand what I'm saying? Praying in the spirit. What's that? Praying in tongues. Praying in prayer language. Private, private use of tongues. He said, so what's the conclusion? I'll pray with the spirit and I'll pray also with understanding. What's this? I will sing with the spirit and I'll also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless, this is still talking about praying. That's a blessing. If you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks? That's still praying, a giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other's not built up. Why is he not built up? Because he doesn't understand. Here's what he's telling the Corinthians. You're running around praying in the Spirit, and that's for you and God. Your praying in the Spirit doesn't help anybody else. It's creating confusion. And he's saying, they don't understand what you're saying. In fact, you don't even understand what you're saying. But he's not saying, listen, this is what you need to understand. Paul's not saying, don't pray in the Spirit. That's not what he's saying at all. He's just trying to help them understand when to pray in the Spirit and how it's supposed to work. Paul believed in tongues, spoke in tongues, and encouraged other people to speak in tongues. I want to say this, too, because I understand this idea of sensationalism, which is ceasing, sensationalism or ceasing. And a lot of people believe in this idea of sensationalism, right? And that is that all the gifts of the Spirit, the miracles, tongues, all of that stopped with the death of the last apostle, which would have been John, probably, or Paul, depending. Apostle could be 12, but then Paul was an apostle, and then there's a Paul. I mean, anyways, you can figure out how you want to apply it. But they always say the death of the last apostle, tongues, gifts, miracles all ceased. I had someone say, can you disprove sensationalism with the Bible? And my answer was, I don't need the Bible to disprove sensationalism. And they said, why? I said, you just need history. Because sensationalism holds that at the death of the last apostle, all miracles and all gifts of the Spirit ceased. I said, so if we research history and we ever find one gift of the Spirit or one miracle, we've disproved sensationalism. And I can pull miracles from every move of God that's ever happened and gifts of the Spirit still in operation today. We had a deaf ear opened in this church. I don't need to disprove sensationalism. I just call that guy. Are you with me? And so, so just that's my thought on that. But anyways, um, Paul's not writing to stop it. He's writing to give some help and, and some parameters. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, when we come together, we don't, we don't use our personal prayer languages um, because that gets confusing. And he's like, everybody starts speaking in tongues. No one knows what's, what's going on. That's a prayer language. That's you and God. And then he says, but if there's a true gift of tongues then it needs to be interpreted. In fact, Paul said it this way. He said, at the most, have one, two, or three at the most with a gift of tongues. 
But this is what he said. Before they release the tongue, they need to make sure they either have the interpretation or someone else has the interpretation. Otherwise, they're just going to release confusion. So what he's saying is, okay, you have a tongue. Then you come up and you say, I believe I have a tongue, but I don't have the interpretation. Okay, who has the interpretation for this person's tongue? Well, I believe God's speaking to me. Okay, you stand. All right, Sally, hit it. And that's why Paul said it should be done decently and in order. Because what he said, when you have a church service, you have some people that don't understand. And you have some people who aren't believers. I had a, a, a lady one time, she's very sweet. She didn't do anything wrong. She just wrote me and wanted to articulate some things. And she did a good job. And, and she, her concern was she wanted to see the Holy Spirit move in our church. And I, my whole thing is like, well, he is. But she had a definition of what Holy Spirit moving was. And that's kind of how most people are. It's like, well, the Holy Spirit moving looks like this. No, that's just how he moved once before. That's the problem with man. God moves one time and we build a a wineskin around the wine and we keep trying to recreate the wine by worshiping the wineskin. Right? And so that is how God moved. And I celebrated the way that she had seen God move. But God had given us a different plan. And I told her, I'm like, every week we see people saved at Pathway. And the Bible says no man can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him. So God must be moving. And so I don't want to mess up God's moving by explaining to God how he needs to move to make me feel comfortable. And, and she was very sweet. And she just said, I just would love to hear you pray in the Spirit over the microphone. Because my pastor used to do that years ago. And I, I told her, I said, I, I hear what you're saying. But in our services, we have people that wouldn't know what that is. And they would just think, oh my God, he's finally lost it. <laughs> like we knew it was bound to happen and it finally did. And so I said, well, I appreciate that. Now, I don't think I've ever actually gotten on this platform to speak without spending time praying in the Spirit. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But I'm not going to pray in the Spirit because that's, that's my prayer language for me and God. No offense, but it's not really your business. Right? This is something God and I, we, we kind of got our thing. And you can have a thing with Him too, by the way. <laughs> but, but we need to understand that Paul's just, you know, and Paul, that's why he said, he said, listen, when we come together as a church, I'd rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because he's trying to explain, this is a private use and this is a public use, right? So tongues are in the Bible. Here's the second thing. Tongues, they're, they're a benefit. They're a benefit. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. I want to show you this. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Now, I'm going to say something. That's a benefit. Now people say, well, that's kind of selfish. You're just using God to build yourself up. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you take vitamins? Do you, do you eat food? Do you sleep? Do you exercise? You selfish people. No, you do that to build your body, don't you? Right? And here's what he's saying. Paul's saying, look, there's something you can do to build yourself up. Now, I don't know about you, but... I need all the building up I can get. And it'd be nice to wait on other people and maybe they'd build me up, but sometimes you can wait a long time for that. <laughs> right? 
And Paul's saying, look, he who speaks or prays in tongues, what's he doing? He's building himself up. And it says, he builds himself up. Now, let me just talk about this conjunction because some people are saying, well, we, he's not talking about tongues. He's talking about prophecy. He's talking about both because, again, he's talking about public uses and private uses. He's saying, hey, when you speak in a tongue, you build yourself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, that conjunction butts in the New Testament 2,700 times, a little over 2,700 times. It could have just as easily been and or on the other hand. So it really could have been the one who speaks in tongues builds himself up. On the other hand, the one who prophesies builds up the church. He's just showing, hey, you have a prayer language because it builds you up. But when you come together, you speak with understanding so it builds everybody up. That's all he's trying to explain. And so, so to me, this is a good reason for me to lean into God because I want to be built up. Right? Look at Jude uh, verse 20. Jude verse 20. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up, on your most holy faith. Now, Jude, how would I build myself up in faith? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. How do I build myself up? Praying in the Holy Spirit. How do I build up my faith? Praying in the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but there are things I have to pray for that, that sometimes I don't know that I have enough faith for. I was in meetings last week with the architects on our building and working on site development and the building plans and all that kind of stuff. And we're doing one of those go-to-meeting things and we're all techied out here and working on stuff and we're talking about numbers and the numbers are higher than I can count. And I start thinking, God, that's a lot. God, what were we thinking? And yet I've got to go to God and pray. And here's what I've found is Sometimes when I get ready to pray, you know, speak to the mountain. Like, like Jesus said, just speak to the mountain. Sometimes I'm not ready to speak to the mountain because the mountain looks real big. But what I found, if I spend a little time praying in the Spirit, the mountain gets smaller. Why? Because it builds me up in faith. And pretty soon I'm not speaking to a mountain, I'm speaking to a molehill. Why? Because I built myself up. Let me, let me show you another thing. Paul said, Ephesians 6.13. Ephesians 6, therefore take up the whole armor of God. Now this time, he says two times, whole armor of God. We want to take up the whole armor of God. How many think we need to take up the whole armor of God? Yes, this is a trick question. I'll just warn you. Right, we need to take up the whole armor. I don't know about you, but when I played football, I wanted every pad they issued. Right? And for me, I, I, in college I played and they, I had a linebacker keep hitting my ribs. And I, so they, then they got me a cage um, but I, I like the whole armor, amen? And so <laughs> I have an aversion to pain. Maybe you enjoy it, I don't. Um, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, all right, so we'll be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand firm. All right, verse 14, stand therefore, and then he goes on to what we call the armor of God, having the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, the shoes of the gospel of peace, verse 16, in every circumstance, take up the shield of faith, um, so you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. And then he says, take up the sword of the Spirit. But look at verse 18. So take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, this is not a new sentence, not a new paragraph, not a new thought. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Take up the whole armor of God. What's the whole armor of God? Well, it's all these pieces. What makes it all work? Praying in the Spirit. See, I wouldn't want to do spiritual warfare without praying in the Spirit. And I wonder sometimes how many people have gone to battle 
and they really don't have the whole armor of God because they're missing one of, the, one of the ways that it works. It's a benefit. Uh, <clears throat> Romans 8, it's another thing we talked about, but it's a private use. I, I refer to this one, so I'll tell you. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. What, what's my weakness? For we don't know what to pray as we should. Have you ever had a situation where you just didn't know how to pray? Just didn't know how to pray? Well, apparently Paul ran into that too. So likewise, the Spirit helps when we don't know how to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. In other words, God gets the message because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Uh, there was a lady in our church uh, years ago, it was back when we were in the hotel, um, <laughs> those were the days. Anyways, we were there, and um, and I never forget. She she was asking me a question. She said, "I had an experience with God. I don't really understand." And she began to tell me, and and she said one night she was uh, she woke up in the middle of the night, and she said, "I wasn't scared, but I felt heavy. I felt burdened." That was my word. I can't remember how she explained. She said, "I just felt this burden for one of my children. I think it was her son." And she said, I just knew that I needed to pray. And she said, I was from a denomination that didn't talk about some of the things that we talk about. And I said, I understand. And, and she said, so I, I knew I needed to pray. And she said, I went out to the living room and I got in my chair and I just began to pray. And she said, I just really began to pray very fervently, very sincerely. She said, and the burden was just heavier and heavier. And she said, I just knew that I needed to pray for my son. And she said, I finally got to this place where it was so heavy. She said, I just began to make sounds that I didn't understand. And she said, but I was perfectly at peace with them. It didn't freak me out, but I didn't know what I was doing. And she said, this went on for over an hour. And at the end of that, the burden lifted. And I felt like, okay, we got to wherever we needed to go. And she said, I had peace to go lay back down. And she said, what, what was that? And I said, Romans eight twenty six. for when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And that he prays and he intercedes for us with, with sounds that we don't really understand. See, there's a benefit to this because I need to be built up. There's a benefit because I need the armor of God. There, there's, there's a benefit because I need to strengthen my faith. And there's a benefit because sometimes I don't know how to pray. And I don't know about you, but I, since pastoring a church and being a dad and being a father, I've run into a lot of situations where I don't know how to pray. And it is so encouraging to my heart to know that I have a prayer partner who is in me and who is with me. And when I don't know how to pray and I am weak in myself, he knows exactly how to pray and he will join with me and pray for me the perfect will of God over my life. I don't know about you, but I need that. So they're biblical and they're a benefit. And here's the last thing. I think this is the thing that gets a little bit confusing. And I want to clarify, they're a choice. They're a choice. And I think this is what's not taught a lot of times, but, but they're a choice. Watch this, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. We already read it, but looking at it, it says, For I, for if I pray in a tongue, this is Paul, and it could be just easy, for when I pray in a tongue, right? So when I pray in a tongue. Notice he didn't say, when God makes me. Do you see that? He didn't say, when God makes me. He just said, when I pray. 
Then my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful. What's the conclusion? Watch this. I will pray. He doesn't say, God will make me. He said, I will pray with the spirit. And then he goes on to say, and I will sing with the spirit. I will. I'll decide. I'll do it. I'll choose it. I will. Right? On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them. And then it says, and they began. It didn't say, and God forced them. It just says, they began. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit empowered them. See, th- this is what, what we need to understand is that, that, you know, a lot of times I've heard people say, well, if God wants me to speak in tongues, then I will. Okay, let me put that another way. Well, if God wants me to be saved, then he'll save me. Because God's never going to override your will. I mean, look at the fruit of the Spirit. It describes the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? He's loving. He's kind. He's gentle. He's patient. He's long-suffering. It's what you need with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not just going to move in and take over you. That's not his nature. See, the Holy Spirit is not a conquest spirit. He will only take the ground, he will only go as far in your life as you yield it to him. He'll not go past your yieldedness. He never will. Because why? He's kind, he's loving, he's gentle. So if you stand over here and just say, well, God, you know, if you ever want me to do that, then you just have to make me. Then the Holy Spirit says, well, I'm not going to make you. That's not who I am. I think sometimes people are worried, well, if I get in one of those churches that talks about the Holy Spirit, one of these days I'm being the Kroger and I'm be checking out, trying to get my two-for-one on sirloin, and I'm just going to grab the microphone and say, who stole my Honda? And I'm going to cause a disturbance, and I'm going to get arrested because the Holy Spirit made me do it. It's not how it works. Paul, Paul said this in this chapter. He said, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You need to understand, Paul, in, in Paul's writing, he, he, he believes prophecy is the greatest gift. So a lot of times to, to include gifts of the spirit, he'll just use prophecy. Because to him, that includes them all because he's calling the, the, to him the dominant one or, or the most powerful one. And so when he's saying the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, all he's saying is, God's not going to make you prophesy. He's not going to make you speak in tongues in the Kroger. That, that's, not how, that's not exactly how, how that works. <laughs> it takes our cooperation and our yieldedness with him to desire, Paul says, desire spiritual gifts. And if, if I want a gift or a grace of tongues, then I would have to desire that and I'd have to lean into it and I'd have to ask for it. And I think sometimes in our misunderstanding, if you will, or maybe had a bad experience or... Let me just say it another way. Tongue seems undignified, so it's just easier to step over here and say, well, if God wanted me to do that, I'd just do it. Well, God's not going to force you to do anything. See, everything you have in the kingdom is freely given to you, but what you really want, you'll have to go after. Right? He gives you the base level. Everything else is provided, but you have to go after it. And if you really want spiritual gifts and you really, if you want to pray in the Spirit and you want the benefits of praying in the Spirit, you're going to have to actually lean in and go after it because the Holy Spirit is not a, he, he's, he's not a dominating person. 
It's not domineering. He's not going to just possess you and take over your life. He'll only go as far as you'll yield. He'll only take from you what you yield to him. That's just, that's just the, way, the way that he is. You know, it's kind of like today when you leave, we have offering boxes located by the doors. When you walk out, when you're just walking out, there's not going to be all of a sudden a check jump out of your pocket and magically jump in the offering box and you go, oh, I've got the gift of giving and I didn't even know. <laughs> Did you see that? I just walked by and money flew out of my pocket and jumped in the box. I am gifted of the Lord to be a giver. That's not how that works. If you have the gift of giving, when you walk by, you'll have to pull out your checkbook. You'll have to write a very, very large check, and then you'll have to put it in the offering box. <laughs> go big or go home, you know. Um, but, but it's not just going to jump out. You're going to actually have to yield you know, I always say the gift of giving outside of tongues, the gift of giving is the second least prayed for gift in the church. <laughs> but anyways, all right. So, but, but see, it's, it's just not going to happen. It won't happen unless you, unless you ask, unless you ask, watch what Jesus says, Luke eleven eleven. <clears throat> he says, if a son asks for bread from any father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Time out. I want to show you something. When, when Jesus talks about snakes and scorpions, he's referencing it's a, it's a type or shadow of demonic. Remember, I give you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions. And I want to say this because there have been people who have said, well, you know, you start praying for tongues, there's a demon named tongues. And when you start praying and asking God for tongues, the demon comes and gives you the, you know, he possesses you with tongues. Okay, that's dumb. <laughs> I mean, I understand how that stuff gets started, but it's just, it's dumb. Because here's what Jesus said. You're not going to ask God for something good and he give you something demonic. You're not going to ask God for something good and he, he let a demon possess you. That's silly. I mean, I'll tell you who came up with that, a demon. No, it says, look, if you ask God for something good, he's going to give you something good. Watch verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, watch this, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. See, if I want anything from God, I know the Bible says, well, he knows what we need even before we ask. But it doesn't say don't ask. It says ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. Right? It, he wants us to ask him. And when it comes to any gift of the Spirit or, or anything like that that we want to receive from God, then we yield ourselves and we ask him. And then God gives it to us. Then by his grace, he gives. He, he's, he's a giver. If we ask for good things, he wants to give us, he wants to give us good things. Listen, the Holy Spirit's good. He's God, and everything about God is good, and he only can give good things, but he only gives good things to those who ask. That's why Paul said, desire spiritual gifts. Paul also said this to the Corinthian church. He said, I wish you would all speak with tongues. That's what he said. I wish you would all speak with tongues. Um, I, I'll tell you, tell you my story. Um, I was raised in, in a Pentecostal denomination, and so I've seen it all, heard it all. Nothing really freaks me out. Um, 
And, and um, you know, I, I saw the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I saw people speak in tongues. I saw um, interpretation of tongues. I, I saw all that growing up because that was the church that we were in. So that's why the Holy Spirit to me is just, he's, it doesn't scare me because even though I saw people do some abuses and some misuses and some things that were kind of like, bless your heart, they were on that Corinthian, they, you know, all gift and no fruit makes you fruity. You know, they were fruity. and But they meant well. But I, I saw it and, and I did believe it because I was raised. And I remember spending out with my grandparents, hearing my grandparents praying in tongues. I remember my dad would get up in the middle of the night praying in tongues. I, it never bothered me. I, I knew those people and I knew they were safe people and they were mature people. And so I knew it was real. And um, as a teenager, I was pretty rebellious. And that's another story. But um, about the age of 17, I made a decision. And the decision was that my parents' God had to become my God. I think sometimes that's my concern with teenagers and young people is, you know, raised in church. And it's like, well, that's mom and dad's God. And it's kind of like, I know God through association. But at some point, that God has to become your God. And so at 17, that's really when God became my God. And I said, God, I, I'm, I'm going to serve you. And right after that really is when God gave me the vision for this church. But I wanted to be filled with the Spirit of God. I wanted all of God that I could have. I wanted, I wanted everything that God could offer. I'm, I'm one of those guys. If it's paid for, sign me up. Like, I'm, I'm okay with free stuff, Right? And, and if it's paid for, sign me up. And so I wanted an experience with God, and I wanted a prayer language. And I felt like, hey, if I'm going to pastor a church, if I'm going um, to move forward with God, then, then I, need, I need a prayer language. It's just a baby. They make noises sometimes. God, God bless the baby. He's okay. Probably just hungry. Long-winded preacher. Um, <laughs> But, but I, I thought, God, it, I want whatever you have for me, and, and I want a prayer language. I understand the benefits of it. I want a prayer language. And, and I remember praying. I remember fasting. I remember asking people to pray for me. I, I mean, I wanted. And we went to a church a lot of times. If you told people that you were, we called it seeking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, a lot of times, well-meaning people, it was, it was too distracting for me because I'm like ADD. And, you know, people get around you, everybody's putting oil on you and touching you and praying in the Spirit. And, you know, and to me, I'm like, I can't, okay, deliver me Jesus. I can't do that. <laughs> like, I have personal space. You're in my personal, the Holy Spirit can come in my personal space, but you have to stay out. And so, um, the Holy Spirit's breath doesn't stink like that. Anyways, um, <laughs> sorry, that's bad one. Jesus, forgive me. Um, but, but I remember praying and, and, and I don't know how many months this went on, but I wanted something that was real. I want to know it was real. I want to know it was God. And, and so, um, God was doing amazing things in my life and, and probably I was more filled with the spirit than I'd ever been. But for me, I wanted the experience of a prayer language. I wanted that experience with God. And I saw it in the Bible and I'm like, if other people got it, I want to have it. And I came home at the time I was in college and, and I was living at home because I'm, I'm not a smart man, but mom and dad said, if you want to go to college here, we'll pay and you can live at home and have free food, free clothes, and we'll pay your tuition. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> or you can go anywhere you want and we'll pay half. And I was like, I like home. <laughs> and, and so 
And so I stayed, stayed at home, went to college. And, and, but I would come in from college, took morning class, come in from college, and then before I go work in the afternoons, I had a little time. A lot of times I'd eat or study. And I just, during this season, I got to where I just didn't eat. I'd come home and pray. And I'd say, God, I want to be filled. And, you know, I don't know why it took me so many months. I think God had to wear my brain out. You know, honestly, the, the reason, most of the time, that what keeps us from getting somewhere with God's our own thought processes and our own analytics and, well, I don't understand. And people are like, I don't want to pray in tongues because it sounds silly. You ever heard a baby learn to talk? You know, I mean, I remember, you know, Luke was, Luke, Luke and Briggs both were pretty, like, they were pretty clear in their speech pretty early. But Mariah, you know, she grew up in Korea and then came home. So she had to start over at eight or nine months trying to learn English. And so she had a lot of sounds. And I could never understand anything she was saying. But Luke and Julie had the gift of interpretation. They always knew <laughs> what she was talking about. But she was just trying to learn to talk. And here's the thing. It doesn't sound silly if it's God. I don't think God's silly. He's funny. I mean, he made you. But, <laughs> but he's not silly. And, and you, you just, you know, but I just got down and I just, I remember praying and just praying, praying. And I finally got to this place one day and I was just praying. I was just fervently praying, God, I want to be filled with you, baptized with you. I just, I want all of you. I want as much of you as I can have. And I remember I got to this place where I just kind of ran out of words and I felt like, I'd call it like a water hose. You know, Jesus said, out of our innermost being will flow rivers. Well, I didn't have a river at first, I had a waterfall. <laughs> and I just kind of felt this, this bubbling. And when it started bubbling, I started hearing all these syllables and sounds. And I knew because I was raised to understand what that was, I knew this is the big dance. Yeah. You know, I knew what was going on. And and I knew, but I knew I had to cooperate. I'd been asking, but now I had to yield and cooperate. And as strange as some of those sounds sounded to me, I was going to have to yield my vocal cords and give voice to, to what I was hearing. And when I made that choice, and I said, okay, I'm going to articulate what I'm hearing, then all of a sudden the water hose became a river. And I spent over an hour laying in the floor in my parents' living room praying in the Spirit. And I knew then, I said, it's real. And I've got it. And I won't take anything for it. And, and I want you to know, this, this, we don't, this, in our church, that's what I want. I kind of like Paul. I wish you all prayed in tongues. I wish you prayed in tongues for me. <laughs> but I just, I wish you prayed in tongues. But we're never going to turn this into, well, we have tongues and you don't have tongues and we have this evidence and you don't. And here's why. I don't need tongues to make me better than you. I need tongues to make me better than me. I need tongues because I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better husband. That's why I need it. I don't, I don't need it to prove to anybody I've got anything. I know what I've got. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so for me, that's why whether you ever believe in that, whether you ever get there, if you're sitting there thinking, dear God, shut up, I'm tired of this. God bless you, it's okay, I still love you. Come next week, we'll talk about something else. But I wish everybody, if nothing else, just got hunger for God to say, hey, if we see these experiences in the Bible, I want to have experiences like that in my life. That's what I want to see. That's what we should all want to see. Amen? If it's in the Bible, we should want to see it. 
It's in the New Testament, and we're the New Testament church. There should be something that stirs in us to say, hey, we want something like that. We're not going to try to make it happen. We're not going to replicate it. We're not going to pretend. We're not, no, none of that stuff. We're just going to be hungry and pursue God. Amen? Are you with me? Come on, can you give him one praise and I'll call it good. And...